We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome in, Hornets fans, to another BuzzBeat podcast. Don't forget, we are a proud member of the Blue Wire Network, and be sure to check out the website, bluewirepods.com, for more content. This is Spencer, and I will be joined, as always, by Richie and Brian. Follow us on Twitter, at QCH Spencer. That's me on Twitter. You can follow Richie, at Richie Randall, and you can follow Brian, at bgeist underscore bird. And also, be, be sure that you're following the podcast, it's at Buzzbeat pod. All right, look, today I, I'm pretty psyched about this episode. We have a very special guest. Um, as the Hornets celebrate their 30th anniversary, wanted to dedicate this show to kind of paralleling that. We, we haven't really done much of that. Of course, we're not affiliated with the Hornets, so we don't have to, but we have a special guest that's really going to help us do that uh, on this show. I will introduce that guest very shortly, but quickly, let's check in on the crew. Richie, what's happening? Man, not a whole lot. Uh, I've been busy lately. I was actually in a wedding this past weekend, uh, so my Friday was shot, my Saturday was shot, uh, and then Sunday was just the time to kind of catch up on sleep, and I never got an opportunity to watch that Hornets game from Friday, but I did get an opportunity to watch the Hornets game against the Knicks last night, but it's a, it's a very busy time for me. Uh, what about you, Spencer? Uh, yeah, I, I think I told you when we first jumped off here on Skype, not, nothing much is happening, but everything's happening at the same time. So I'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, BG, so since the last time I talked to you, how much has your Zion Williamson crush grown? Uh, more and more. I, I don't know <laughs> if you guys watched the game Monday against Notre Dame, but uh, that he could make a case that was the best game he's played since he got to Duke. It was, it was certainly up there with the Kentucky performance and a few others. So Busy with college hoops. Uh, I'm going to watch the State-Virginia game once we're done with this tonight. And uh, I'll be in Durham uh, covering the game on Saturday with the good to see uh, Shmori Pons against uh, Trey Jones and Zion. So that should be a lot of fun. Good stuff. Good stuff, man. All right. Well, look, it's now really it's my honor to introduce our guest for today's episode, Hornets legend Kenny Gaddison. Uh, Kenny was drafted by the Phoenix Suns in 1986, and he also spent a year playing in Vancouver after his days in Charlotte. But Kenny spent, obviously, the majority of his NBA career with the Charlotte Hornets from 1989 to 1995, six seasons in total. Kenny now serves as the National Basketball Retired Players Association Vice President of Membership and Benefits. Kenny, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing very expensive. Good to be on with you guys. Yeah, man, absolutely. We appreciate you being here, and uh, this, this is cool because, like I said earlier, you see all the 30th anniversary stuff uh, with the Hornets this year. They're celebrating that. I know you've been a big part of that, so it's nice for us to you know, kind of throw our own hat in that ring and, and celebrate it as well. So let's jump right in here, um, and we'll try not to pepper you with too many questions, uh, but this is a treat for us and the listeners, so we want to take advantage of this time we have. So I'll go ahead and ask the first question that we got for the night for you. Um, so you came to Charlotte, Kenny, in 1989, and you played for three coaches in three seasons, if I have that right. <laughs> Each of those first three seasons, the team improved, and really drastically, I, I would say, that, that last year. But the growth was slow. So how hard was it to play for three coaches in three seasons? 
And really, could you see that improvement happening with the team before that huge 92-93 year when you guys made the playoffs and you beat Boston in the first round? I mean, it was just – it was such a blur. You you join a team and in a matter of what seemed like weeks, you, you have a head coaching change and you're trying to get out and win games and compete and – but you're, you know, you're an expansion team and you're going out and you're fighting and clawing and digging. And some games you're you're like, okay, we could have got them. And then some games it's like, oh, man, we're just not good enough. So <laughs> it, it, was, it was an emotional roller coaster. And then you throw in all the coaching changes and – you know, and and throughout my career, you know, some some guys are blessed to land in the Lakers, Bulls dynasties, or Celtics dynasties, where you know you you just you you winning and you winning and you in championship series, and you know, but there there's still some value when you take a team from 19 wins to almost 50 wins and you you feel like you truly accomplished something so the growing pains as they call it the high coach turnover the high player turnover it came with the territory and if, if, if you remember back in those days I think it was in a couple of years you had four expansion teams, Charlotte, Orlando, Miami, and I think Toronto. So you you really had a huge growth spurt yeah. in the in the NBA as far as expansion, but I guess one thing that kept us saying, we led the NBA in attendance. And yeah. coming in at, into the hive with twenty three thousand six hundred and seventy four, I think was the number. <laughs> It was it, it was awesome. It was you know you 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 had those fans yelling for you, and win, lose, or draw, you 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 gave it your all. So it was a it was a it was a wonderful experience, and you know it, it really was a, a highlight and, and and a delight in my career to to play here for six years. No, yeah, that's awesome. And I was, <clears throat> I was actually watching the, you know, an Alonzo morning hits the, uh, hits the shot to beat the Celtics. I guess in what was Game Four of the playoffs in the first round that year. I, yep. There's this big dog pile, and I watched it probably like 15 times today. I was like, "Where's Kenny?" I was like, "I can't find Kenny. I'm sure he's in that pile somewhere, number 44." <laughs> I never actually found you. So, so where were you in that moment? I mean, that moment sticks out in, in Hornets fans. I think in, okay. in their mind. That, that's that's interesting that you you asked that question, and I'm going to give you a perspective that nobody has ever heard because nobody's ever asked that question. You didn't see me on the court because I was on the bench. <laughs> and I, I just just at the bottom of the pile from the bench, like after the shot went no. in. That's more of what I was asking. I. I <laughs> No, I wasn't. No, I came from the bench because in that game, Kevin McHale retired after that game. Oh, wow. Okay. And he scored 32 points. <laughs> and most of them was on Alonzo. <laughs> Alonzo was in foul trouble. And I had to basically say, Coach, I think Alan Grissel was our coach. I'm like, you got to get Zoe out the game. We're going to need him to guard Kevin McHale. Let me be the, you know, you see on those crash test dummies. Let me just be the crash <laughs> test dummy. But we got to have the big fella at the end of the game. And that's the reason why I was on the bench. I was the sacrificial lamb. I'm like, no, nah, I'll just, this guy is red hot. I'll take him because those don't fall out. And that's kind of how that game trans transpired. And, wow. you know, Kevin McHale was one of those kind of guys. If he made his first two shots, you were in trouble. And he made his first two shots. And Zoe was in foul trouble. I think he had three fouls halfway through the second quarter. And 
in the third quarter, I'm like, go. You got to go park it. I got to guard it. <laughs> Obviously, you can't stop him. He doesn't score half the thirty-two on you. So That's... I, I actually, I actually had to go out there and and take a few jumpers and jump hooks and up and unders from Kevin McHale so that that Zoe could be available in that game. And he hit that elbow jumper. And if you look at the clip, I was coming in off the bench because. I must have got four or five fouls trying to guard Kevin McHale, and the guy retired, and he had thirty-two and twelve. So, so that that that's how that game ended, and we won it. And it was a, I got a photo of that picture on my wall. But me coming off the bench, jumping over the pile, and that Zoe was on the bottom of the pile because we all just crashed it. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm really glad I asked that question because basically what you're telling us is you were the hero of that game. What yeah, exactly. You were the hero. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that... no, no. The hero always makes the last shot. Yeah. I was a sacrificial lamb. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you should at least get an assist for it though, right? Like right. I think it's, I think it's De- I think I think Dell's the one that inbounds in the ball, but you should at least get like a half an assist for that or something. <laughs> well, I got a pat on the back because yep. you were out in the course of the game. <laughs> Uh, I had to manage I had to manage Zoe. Can you imagine trying to get that guy to come out of game? <laughs> a playoff game to tell no him what? to sit down because Kevin McHale is killing you. <laughs> oh gosh, we about got in a fist fight on the bench. So, <laughs> but you know that was that was my role. That was my leadership role on the team to tell oh. the guys the things they didn't like to hear or want to hear. But what's best for the team? And right. you know. I ended up right in that situation has been a whole lot more. So, you know, it goes down as one of the greatest shots in, in the Hornets history because it took us to the playoffs for the first time. Sure. No doubt. No, that's an awesome story, man. I'm glad I asked that question. All right. Well, speaking of roles, tell us a little about your current role with the national basketball retired players association. And really, I, I'm just curious if, you know, I, we know why it's important but you can give us some insight on that as well for the retired players. But why is it also important really for the league as we know it today? Well, uh, a lot of people, they don't know the history of the the National Basketball Retired Players Association. And our founders are Dave Bing, Archie Clark, Oscar Robinson, Dave Cowan, and Dave the Busher. And these guys came together and they started, you know, back in those days, I was a player rep and when I was, I was on the executive committee for the uh, players association and, you know, in the contract negotiations with the, you know, NBA, David Stern and the, the owners of the collective bargaining agreements. But those guys were the founders that said, we need to start a association for retired players. And, so in, in 92, it came to fruition, and those guys fought and they battled to have a landing spot for guys when they finished. And most most people don't understand, when you've been a professional athlete for 8, 9, 10, 12, 14 years, what have you, whatever your career is, and you have 20,000 people in arenas, jumping up and yelling, you know, every time you come into the game, that's that's the ultimate rush. That's the ultimate satisfaction. That's the ultimate achievement of what you achieved in your professional sports endeavor. But that locker room turns into a meat locker. Because you 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 can you can win a whole lot of games, but father time is undefeated. At every point, you're going to be a retired professional athlete. And the thing that that our founders and and Dave Bing, Archie Clark, Dave Cowens, Dave DeBush here, Oscar Robinson, those guys wanted to establish a safe landing spot where players could come to for after career resources, after playing career guidance. And through the years, it's become a valuable resource for for players. And 
I mean, I, I joined the day I retired. Hmm. When I retired in 96, it was like a given. You, you joined the Retired Basketball Players Association, and any career advice, any direction, uh, I, I came from an era where we, you know, guys weren't just leaving school. There was no one and done. You stayed four years, you know. You, you I played my four years at Old Dominion and walked out of there with a major and a minor degree because you weren't thinking of I, back in those days, you weren't making what, – what a lot of people don't understand, even the players, even the young players today. When I came into the NBA in 1986, the payroll for the entire team was $12.5 million. Jeez. Today <laughs> that's, the, you have, that's the mid-level exception now, basically. Yeah. <laughs> today you have six players on a team making more than a whole team made in 86. Mm-hmm. So – we knew when we finished playing, we had to go to work. And, you know, God bless expansion and, and the Internet and technology. And now you got NBA games shown in most of the countries in the world. Uh, the player salaries have went up 50 times what we made, but... Still, at the end of the day, you have to have a team and you have to have a place where you can go for post-career advice and guidance. And, you know, to this day, that's what we do. And a part of my job as VP of membership and and benefits is to try to get the messaging out there about our um, organization and the benefits and the things that we try to provide to retired NBA players, and now today our our organization has has morphed into a really all inclusive um, basketball family because we consist of retired NBA, ABA, WNBA, and Harlem Globetrotters. So we are truly the official alumni association for professional basketball players here in the United States. Wow. Kenny, this is Richie, by the way. Um, speaking of the league today, what's, what's the biggest thing that you've noticed in today's NBA on the court uh, versus you know, the days when you played in the mid-'90s? I don't know how much of an opportunity you get to watch NBA today or if you stick strictly to college or NBA, but what, what's the biggest thing, the biggest difference you see on the court? Well, I, I think the biggest difference is the players are in a position – to become friends. And I say that in a context of just the evolution of the game. You know, you would have never caught Magic Johnson signing with the Celtics, Larry Bird signing with the Lakers, Michael signing with the Lakers, anything of that nature, because we were pretty much stationary and the salary cap, the the free agency, and a lot of people don't really understand unless you, you've been involved in the league and the negotiations and things that I have, you know, and you're talking about going back to the eighties and nineties, players, players were free agents, but you were only able to transition the teams that had a salary slot for you. So basically if you were, making $800,000, you could go only to a team that had $800,000 below the cap to spend. And then the Larry Bird exception came into play. And what that meant was any player that played with a team for two years could sign with that team regardless of whether they were at the cap, over the cap, that that team could sign. And and what it did, it, it, it prevented players from changing teams, as you see in the league today. And it promoted a sense of 
loyalty from from the fans. And, and a lot of people don't understand, back in the early 80s, 81, 82, the NBA Finals was tape-delayed. If they were on the West Coast, it was tape-delayed. And the, the, the product was not what it is today. And, of course, with, with technology, live streaming, digital, everything that happens today, you can get NBA games live in every continent in the in the world. So the product developed, the players developed, the owners developed, and what you have now is this massive global organization of the NBA. It's it's not just in the United States and therein lies the, the escalation of salaries and mm-hmm. what you see today. But, you know, all I can say is if, if an owner crazy enough to give a guy $35 million a year, he should be crazy enough to take it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the NBA definitely has gone more global uh, every year. You just see more and more countries getting involved in, in, in watching the NBA, and you see these numbers around the world, how popular this league is. And like you said, it, it kind of dr- it drives the business. It drives the business. So for this next question, Kenny, I want you to kind of imagine yourself playing in today's <laughs> NBA game. Uh, just to give the, the listeners a kind of a stat line here, his best season for the Hornets was in 91-92, where he averaged almost 13 points, uh, seven rebounds. He was a very good rebounder, and he shot 53% from the field. And until Dwight Howard, who only played one year with the Hornets organization, Kenny Gaddison led the uh, the Hornets organization in field goal percentage. So, honest question, how do you think that you would fare in today's NBA, just your playing style and everything like that? Well, you, you want an honest answer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I would use my six files up in about eight minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> I did not shoot threes. It's mm-hmm, like now mm-hmm. everybody's a stretch four, stretch five. My range was 17 feet, not 17 feet and six inches. I played 17 feet <laughs> and in. There lies the <laughs> high field goal percentage. Right. And it, the game has changed. And, you know, a, a whole lot of players, you know, from my era back in the, the 80s and 90s, you know, you always got this debate about, all oh, those guys couldn't play back in our day. That uh, yes, they could. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, they could. <laughs> the coaches back in our day couldn't coach them. No way, <laughs> Hubert Brown will allow Steph Curry to dribble sixteen times before he take a shot. You know, James Harden couldn't play for Pat Riley. He couldn't take twenty seconds out the twenty-four second clock to step back and shoot a three-pointer. Is these players, they have more freedom, and they have more skill. Kevin Durant's almost seven foot, and yeah. he, he'll kill yeah. you from the three-point line to the elbow. He, he, these guys have such high skill levels. Now, on the back end of their high skill level, they're about as undisciplined as a, as a, as a <laughs> six-year-old in Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> they... they and ESPN is a fault of all of that. You get a guy that goes three for 19, but his three mates are on ESPN. You know, you went three for 19 back in that. When I played, you wouldn't play for us two weeks. Kenny, you, you might be getting your passport out going overseas. Yeah. <laughs> Does it, Kenny, that, just real quick, I'm just going to jot in here. Does it surprise you, like, with Harden, I mean, Durant, some of these guys you've mentioned, and some of them play a little bit more selfishly than others, but does it surprise you how their teammates, seem to just kind of melt right in around them and don't push back against that a little bit. I guess it's not their place to push back, of course, but I feel like back in when you were playing, there would have been more pushback from that perspective, I guess. I don't know. Well, and, and I can tell you, I can tell you just from a guy that's done it, you know, on every level. When you watch, you know, arguably the greatest player of my era, Michael Jordan, Michael didn't win games from the three-point line. He posted up in that triangle offense, and he killed you from 19 feet and in. And so as players back in those days, 
you thinking to yourself, oh, man, 17, 18, 19 feet, I can do what he does. But then you realize, well, these guys, they can hand check and they pushing and they beating and banging and he's still making shots. So you 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 figure it out like no I, I I can't do what he does he does it eighty two games a year now in today's era where you got a Steph a Clay Thompson a Russell Westbrook Anthony Davis I mean you go down the line as a player these guys come in range when they get two feet across half court. And you can sit on the bench and you watch it night in and night, but they score four feet past the three-point line. And as a player, you have to sit down and you have to be honest and say, no, I can't do that. I I got three-point range, but I don't have three-point plus range. And that's what the game has kind of come to. And, and, you know, no, no, no different than, you know, guys in my era, we marveled at what, Michael did and Magic and Bird and, you know, the, the, the greats that, you know, we did through evolution. The players have gotten taller, longer. I mean, look at Giannis over in Milwaukee, the Greek freak, the guy, he dunked on people from 15 foot jumping off the wrong foot. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's what these – what this, and I'm telling you, in my lifetime, I'll see the, the the NBA court get lengthened, expanded, and the goal will go up six inches because these guys, they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're hitting the head on the basket on the backboard. And you talked about Zion Williamson. I mean, come on, give me a break. You're talking about an NFL tight end. Yeah. <laughs> monster dunking. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful to watch, but that rim's going up. And that coach going to lengthen in my lifetime because guys are so long and they're so athletic where you have guys that the the, the skill level is so high. You got a 6'9", 280-pound guy bringing the ball up the court on a fast break. Ridiculous. Uh, Who's going to stop that? Andre Mm -hmm. the Giant? No, it ain't (laughs) happening. They're going to get out of the way like you see them doing. All right, let's – Take a break from the interview with Kenny Gaddison. We'll get right back in. But let me tell you guys about an offer from Blue Wire, from MyPillow. If you're planning to eat better for the New Year's, exercise more, be more patient, whatever it may be, it all starts with a good night's rest. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and enter my promo code, COZY, and you'll get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. It's amazing what a difference a great pillow makes. If you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on their four-pack, shipping is absolutely free. That's right, no shipping cost. And don't forget about their 60-day money-back guarantee. There's nothing better than the gift of restorative sleep. Go to MyPillow.com, click on their four-pack special, and use code COZY to get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. MyPillow.com or call 800 966 one four seven two and use promo code C O Z Y. All right. Let's get back into the interview with Kenny Gaddison. Yeah, I, I uh I saw I was covering a game at Duke this year and the, the media seating is right right on the sideline there and I saw Zion go up and try to block a shot and he hit his head on the backboard and it was like did that mm-hmm. uh, did that you, like you know, you don't have a replay when it happens right in front of you like that. It was like, wait a second. I think he just, I think he just hit his head on the on the on the backboard here. But uh, Kenny, this is uh, this is Brian. I'm, I'm the third uh, co-host here. Um, in the past, I was fortunate enough to be a part of an interview with another North Carolina product that played his college ball at uh, ODU. Ken Bazemore now carved out a nice little career with the Atlanta Hawks. Um, yep. We when we talked with him, he mentioned his recruitment. He was he was pretty good good hearted about it he was making he was kind of cracking up he was like basically you know I, I wasn't good enough to 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 get an offer from you know duke nc state unc wake like the big acc in-state schools but it, 
he mentioned that he was a big state fan. You know, he really wanted, I think Sidney Lowe was the coach there at the time. He really wanted a yeah. chance to state. Didn't work out. Obviously, things have gone splendidly for him going going from ODU to the NBA and, again, carving out a, a big career for himself. So I was wondering, you know, what was was your recruitment similar to that? Did you did you did you have interactions with North Carolina schools like that, or was there one? Did you really want to go to State or UNC or, or Duke or Wake or you know Charlotte or East Carolina, anything like that? Okay, well you 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 think the answer to the Boston Celtics win in '92 <laughs> was perplexing. <laughs> Where do you get a hold of this? All right. <laughs> I was a football player. <laughs> I grew up wanting to be the tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. All right. I I slept with a basketball. I spun a basketball. Uh, I slept with a football. I spun a football on my finger. I was the worst basketball player in the whole state of North Carolina. I could care less about basketball. <laughs> I, I, I was going to be a NFL tight end that was my dream and it's so funny that we 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 go down because a whole lot of people don't know this story but my true love my first love was was football and that's what I worked at and I had football I had football scholarships from UCLA to Ohio State Michigan State Clemson Alabama you name it I I I left high school. I was six, seven and a half, two thirty-five, and read a four-five forty. So, so when I tell you, I had just as many offers in football that I had in basketball. It, it, it's true, and 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 what happened was. I grew up down in Wilmington with with uh, Mike, and he went to five star basketball mm-hmm. camp, and he won all of the awards, the MVP, and everything up there. And when he got done with five star, I played at New Hanover High School. He played at Blaney. We were like arch nemesis, mm-hmm. and he's like, "You guys got to go to five star." I'm like, "A basketball camp? I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm a football player." I mean, really, after after Clemson won the national championship in football, I think, in 81, mm-hmm. Danny Ford and his staff was at my high school recruiting me to come to, to, wow. to Clemson wow. to play football. And to, to make a long story short, I had a scholarship office to play basketball from every school in the ACC, SEC. All the ACC, Big Ten, SEC schools are like, look, just come here. We can, you can play both football and basketball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was a late bloomer in basketball. I mean, back where I came from, down in Wilmington, our coaches were so tough. If you dribbled the ball in between your legs, you got cut. <laughs> you were high school was the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade, and. Just to clarify this story, this myth about Michael Jordan being cut from the basketball team, <laughs> that's the biggest crock of bull yep. that yeah. you ever wanted. <laughs> Mike was in the 10th grade. In Wilmington, North Carolina, you in the 10th grade, you played JV basketball, JV football. I don't care who you were. Mike wanted to play varsity basketball. He told the coach. I'm trying out for the boss of the team, and Coach Pop Heron. You're like, you can try it all you want to. You play. <laughs> okay, so he tried out. Now, mind you, we didn't play AAU basketball in Wilmington. We didn't know who the guys were in Greensboro and Charlotte. I mean, and, and a lot of people don't even remember this, except the guys that actually were there. Bobby Crimmins had the best basketball camp when he was over there at Appalachian mm-hmm. State. Huh? You 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 talking about 1980? Me, Mike, James Worthy, Sleeper Floyd, Brad Doherty, Buzz <laughs> Peterson, huh. all the all the Cecil Exum. We were at Bobby Crimmins basketball camp, and we running around there. Dominique Wilkins, you know, we running around there dunking on each other. And I mean, <laughs> I was a football player, so I just followed the hell out of everybody, and. <laughs> We like 
now all these years later we're like damn we were pretty good <laughs> and so that the, the, as the story evolves i had scholarship offers from every acc school in football and basketball sec big ten you name it i was I was a really, really good football player, and I was a really, really good basketball player, but I never put the work in for basketball until I grew, like, in between my sophomore and junior year in, in, in high school, and I'm like, you know what? During football season, I spent my lunchtime in the gym working on basketball. I would tape up my right hand and do everything fundamental, just fundamentals. There wasn't no going behind your back in between your legs and all of that. And how I ended up at Old Dominion, I went to five-star basketball camp. All of these great players around the country, everybody, that was the place to be. We just pulverized. My guys from Wilmington, we was like, okay, y'all think this is a game. This ain't no game. We playing for blood. We, <laughs> we don't lose. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, I end up being on the whatever five-star all-stars team. And then from that day, every college in America is recruiting me to play basketball. And I'm like, y'all got it twisted. I'm a football player. But <laughs> I, I started growing. I just kept growing. I went from 6'1 to 6'3 to from 6'3 to 6'6 and and uh, I, I and, and believe it or not, my back in those days, I don't know what the college elves were. I assume they still have six official visits. Five of my official visits were ACC schools for basketball. Mm -hmm. I met Mark West at the camp <laughs> at Five Star. Mark West was a, a, a finance major, and he was walking around with books studying while the rest of the basketball council was goofing off and telling jokes and acting silly. And I'm like, you know what? What school you go to? I like you. You carry yourself in a, in a professional manner. You, you, you speak. You are articulate. And uh, Mark West and I became friends. And I tell him, I said, you know what? I'm gonna lose. I'm gonna use my last visit to come visit you at Old Dominion. I say, you understand? I'm not coming to Old Dominion. I'm just gonna come visit you, so at least you'll get a steak dinner out the deal. And, uh, <laughs> I always took you to a nice, nice steakhouse on your official visit, and I, 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 I visited Old Dominion, and I think I arrived at night. I think I just finished playing in the. North Carolina high school basketball game and went to ODU on an official visit and got in at night. And when I opened up the curtains at the hotel, I was looking out at the ocean. I'm like, this is just like Wilmington. This is great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's how I chose Old Dominion because of Mark West, the head coach, Paul Webb, Oliver Purnell, and Eddie Webb were assistants. And to this day, those those three guys are some of my best friends in this world. You know, and that's why I always tell kids, I'm like, if you're good enough, you'll be in the NFL, you'll be in the NBA, you'll be where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But I went to the school that felt right. I went to the I went to the school that matched my personality, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. gosh, Lefty Drizelle wanted me to come to Maryland and all he could envision was a was a was a backcourt of Lynn Bias and Kenny Gaddison. <laughs> and wow. he called me and he wanted me to commit and I said, Coach, I can't do it. And he's like, Why not? You and, and Lynn Bias, you guys will be in the NBA and da 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 da, da. I'm like, no, nah, coach, I'm I'm sorry, but I don't trust nobody named Lefty. 
<laughs> and the, the man called me everything but my first and last name. I never heard a coach talk that way. And mm-hmm. but that reinforced reinforced mm-hmm. my choice of going to ODU because I've been knowing Coach Well for thirty six years and still to this day I've never heard him say a curse word. So it's 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 not Times have changed. Players were, I went to school to play college basketball. I chose Old Dominion because if I'd have went to a ACC school or a Big Ten school, I would have played both football and basketball. ODU had no football team back then, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't have been tempted. I'd have walked on campus at any other school in America and from day one, I'd have been the best tight end on campus, but I'd have been the best power forward on <laughs> campus. It was there was there was never no doubt in my ability, but my objectives were always clear. And like I told the guys that were recruiting me, I said I play both sports. I'm gonna end up with no knees and no degree. <laughs> I said so. And when I told my high school football coach that I wasn't playing. I had I had pro scouts at my high school football games. And when I told him I wasn't playing college football, he 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 went berserk. He thought somebody paid me or something. I'm like, no, I'm just as broke as I was yesterday, but I've just you know, <laughs> I I I'm gonna I'm playing college football. I'm I'm something something draws me to to college basketball and uh you know, I ended up, you know, I kept my recruiting open in football. I didn't let it be known so the football coaches would still come and see my teammates. And and, and about five or six of them ended up with D1 scholarships and got along in high school, ended up clashing and ended up going to Western Carolina and got drafted by the Eagles and being a Pro Bowl defensive end. So, you know, we, we all have our stories and we all have our little – nuances in them but you know with with the with not playing in the ACC you know picking the school that I really liked there was nobody in my life was like okay you're from North Carolina you going to play college basketball <laughs> you better stay in the ACC and, and play in North Carolina, which would have mm-hmm. been where I was supposed to be. You know, you, you, you're not supposed to be as good as I was and leave the state of North Carolina to play mm-hmm. basketball. You know, just like when, when Dean Smith was recruiting Mike, you know, <laughs> Dean Smith is like, uh, Gavis is you're 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 going to be a fine player, but you're just not going to play. Have the words, kid. Yeah, and he's not going to. You're, you're just not going to play, son. I said, okay, coach. But then James Worthy, he started to leaving early, and they were stuck with Brad Doherty at Power Ford, and did <laughs> did you know? It was just one of those things when Coach K and you know. He recruited me from Duke, and you know I had the opportunity. Coach Coach K may be my most favorite coach that never coached me. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to work with him in Team USA and, and some things through the years. And you know he was like, "Kenny, we really want you to come to Duke." And I said, "Coach, I paid to take the SAT. <laughs> I don't have twenty five. Duke wouldn't take anything but the ACT back then." I'm like, Coach, I ain't got $25 to pay for another test. And Coach K, he's a straight shooter. He was like, well, I can't pay for it. And I'm like, well, I guess I won't be coming to Duke. (laughs) North Carolina State and Wake Forest, Georgia Tech. I had scholarships to every ACC school out there, you know, football and basketball. And it's just so ironic that, you know, it comes down to, you know, when I got in, when I got inducted to the Wilmington Sports Hall of Fame, and they named the court after me over at, over at my high school, Kenny Gattis and Court, and 
Hmm. I get it, Dallas. It did all. It did a Wilmington Sports Hall of Fame. I get this old guy. He, he, well, congratulations, but you still you should have played in the ACC. <laughs> like after all these years, like, you got to bring that up. Never end. Right, so, yeah, but it's just like with Kent Bazemore. Oh, you found Kent Bazemore recruiting another player on Kent's team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Kent was an athlete times two. Ken Baseball couldn't play dead in the Cowboy movie. He had no basketball skill whatsoever. He yeah. just was. I think he uh, was the most athletic guy you'd ever see, and he just grew into it. He grew into it. He made not grew into it. He made himself. He figured it out, and you know, through the years, I've become friends with him. And he was like, I would see him at some summer league. <laughs> He's like, you know. You're like, Gat, what do I need to do? I said, you need to become a basketball player and not an athlete. I said, you got to become a guard. And he put in the work, and I think he's making about 13 or $14 million now. Yeah, not not too bad. He joked that he thought his first year at ODU, he didn't make a shot at all in practice the entire year. That was that was what that was what Baysmore joked about. He was like, "Nah, seriously, I didn't I didn't score one time." In no, practice. it's no joke. It's the truth. I mean, he couldn't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> He Ken Bazemore couldn't be the be the two year old at cornhole. I mean, it just it just <laughs> he was an athlete. If you told him to jump over a station wagon, he could do that, but he couldn't throw that ball in an ocean out of a canoe. Uh, all right, Kenny. Oh my gosh, that is that is an awesome story. Um, I think we've asked a lot of the right questions tonight. This has been great. All right, rapid fire question because I know you got to go, um, and we do too. But before we left, I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you what the greatest Hornet that you ever played with was in Charlotte. And then if you've got one quick story about this guy, and if it's you, fine. You know, I think I told you that earlier. If, if it, Kenny Gadsden is the great Hornet, greatest Hornet you ever played with, and that's fine too. But do you have a quick one for us? Muggsy Bowes. Muggsy Interesting. Bowes. And I don't care. Zoe and LJ. We would have never reached the playoffs without Zoe and LJ because they were our two all-stars. But to to, to see Muggsy Bowes come into practice in games and a guy that was 5'3", and he, and he put the effort in that he did every day, you forget taking a day off. You would not take a playoff, whether it was practice or a game. And it was just the way it was. We we were a band of brothers that we refused to let each other down. And Muggsy's out there, and he's getting screened, and he's getting picked, and he's picking up people 94 feet and he's beat up and bruised up after games. And then the next day, he the first one on the court. I don't care how tired, I don't care how physically spent you were, you had to answer the bell. And that's that's why I say Muggsy Bowles, not because when you talk about just a physical presence, Alonzo Morning, he just refused to be stopped. He was, he, he, he had a, Tenacity that I've never seen. LJ, he might have been the most talented because he could beat you with a jump shot and then he could take you power to the rim. And But Muggsy, he gave you that that drive, that no quit. Because when you saw a guy come out there 5'3", 160 pounds, soaking wet, that refused to give in or give up, you didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. You you brought it every day in practice, every night in games, and that that's why you know I I, I would say Muzzy was the the greatest because he drove us and he pushed us. We're not really he wouldn't he didn't really know he was doing it, but that's what made the team. And everybody, every professional athlete has that one guy he saw as a kid that you you said I want to. Mm-hmm. be like him and bring that toughness and then when you get on a on a team 
you get that one guy that just inspires you on a daily basis and you know that's that's what leads me to say that mostly he was to me he was the greatest hornet because he didn't kill you with his jump shot he wasn't big enough to guard a whole lot of guys but there just was no quitting him you know, yeah. how hard he got screened or picked or he would jump back up and <laughs> you're like okay I'm going back out there, so it just it kept us going. It, it gave us that that fight, that no quit attitude, and you know when he when he led us out over that court and that hive every night, you were getting all we had. So I, I throw that I throw that hat right over the mugs, the, the that, greatest one. That's. That is awesome, and probably not an answer that um, everybody out there that's going to listen to this was expecting to hear, so even better. But, Kenny, look, man, thanks again. Uh, we really appreciate your time and, and your insight because uh, I think some of the stories you told and just some of the things that you know and, and some of your opinions, are it, it's really special, and I think everybody will enjoy this episode and everything you had to bring. So thanks again, man, and we'll do this again. And also, we're going to send you some BuzzBeat gear, so I'm going to – follow up with you and get your size as long as you promise to wear it. <laughs> All right. We'll do for sure. And be happy to join you guys again. All right. Thanks, Kenny. Take Thank care, you. man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Well, that was episode 89 of the Buzzbeat podcast. Um, some really good stories there. I don't know whether we've really had an episode like that yet. Um, kind of sit around the campfire and, and let, the, <laughs> let the old smart ones kind of tell you what the real deal is. So that was that was kind of a treat for us, uh, and I hope it was for you guys as well. Uh, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter. It's at BuzzBeatPod. And don't forget, we're also a proud member of the Blue Wire Network. Check out BlueWirePods.com for, for tons of other podcasts. A lot of great content out there, and it's growing every single day. So it's really good stuff. All right, well, we're going to hit you guys next week with the trade deadline primer edition it's going to be nothing but trade deadline stuff and with this all this ad news um a, a lot of teams are going to try to get in the mix in that so why not the hornets we'll, we'll bring that to you guys next week until then go hornets <laughs>